you know, doing things daily in terms of mobility and like self-assessment and like auto-regulation of, of what they're actually trying to accomplish and what they're doing on a daily basis, we can kind of find what's going on and attack that issue early on and every day. Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Jonathan Gellner, and thank you for being here. Today, we're joined by Austin Wasserman, and he is the co-founder of AB Athletics, as well as a strength coach, throwing coach, and base running guru. We dive into daily arm maintenance programs, some of his ideas for pre and post throwing work, and what youth and high school age kids should be doing in the weight room versus what college and pro guys should be doing. Wass is a fantastic follow on social media who puts out a ton of free information, so I was honored to have him on. Here is Austin Wasserman. Austin Wasserman, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I'm excited as well, and I, I can't wait to get started, but why don't you go ahead and start by telling our listeners a little bit about your baseball background and how you got into coaching. Sure. So, um, so I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, but I grew up in, in New Hampshire, played Little League, played uh, middle school, high school baseball in New Hampshire, went on to play at the University of New Orleans uh, for two years under uh, Coach Randy Bush and uh, Kenny Benora, and then um, ended up transferring to uh, to University of Connecticut. Actually, I'm wearing... I'm wearing my UConn shirt right now, my UConn sandal. So still supporting, still supporting the Huskies. But uh, so I was there. Um, oh, so I was in New Orleans from 02 to 04, and then I transferred to UConn. Was at UConn from 04 uh, to 07. You know, played a couple years of independent baseball. Realized that you know I'm a middle infielder, outfielder with very little pop, switch hitter, guy that likes to run. Um, so I didn't, it didn't last too long in independent baseball and I, I really wanted to get into education and coaching and teaching. I have my degree in exercise physiology and my master's in clinical nutrition. So I wanted to really figure out what I want to do with that, with those degrees. So after I played independent ball for two years, I, uh, I got a job in New York city, uh, working at a physical therapy facility called the USATC and, uh, learned a ton there, man. It was, it was like probably one of the best experiences I had with all the physical therapists, all the trainers. Um, my boss, Gary Guerrero was the, uh, the athletic trainer for the New York Rangers. So it was nice to kind of get away from baseball for a little bit and, and really learn, you know, kind of the back end of injury prevention and rehabilitation for different sports and, uh, really learned a ton there. So that's kind of how I kind of progressed into, um, into training and, and coaching. And I worked in New York for a couple of years and I was, I really didn't have a place to live, so I was actually sleeping at work on a physical therapy table, which is pretty crazy. So I'd like work there all day, make my bed on the PT table, get up, shower in the locker room, you know, and, and be ready to go. So it was uh it was pretty crazy. I did that for about two years. So, you know, I knew that there was it was a really good step into what I wanted to do eventually, which was training athletes. And uh from there I started A B athletic development with uh, my business partner Bobby Tewksbury. You know, we really focused on team training and, and strength training and skill development. And now we kind of have our, our, our own separate entities where Bobby talks about hitting. And, you know, I don't really touch upon that side at all. But I focus on strength training and, and throwing uh, development for baseball and softball players. Perfect. So you and Bobby decided to go into this business together. And you guys kind of take a holistic approach to training athletes. So talk to us, you know, at least from your side, what would you guys do if an athlete walks into the door and says that uh, he wants training? Yeah, no, it, it's 
it was funny. We were actually both working in New York City, and we ended up quitting our jobs. Um, he was there. He was a general manager facility, and um, I was, you know, doing strength training and, and personal training and working with the, really closely with the, the uh, PTs. Um, so we quit our jobs and we started AB, and we really didn't have many athletes the first year because we were, you know, we were kind of new company and you know people didn't really understand what we were trying to do. Like I said, like from a holistic standpoint, where we had everything under one roof with strength training and, and skill development and, and, and team training and all that. So, you know, our approach really is when an athlete comes into our door, they want training. There's a kind of a pretty lengthy, extensive process to get the right people in our training programs. Um, so there's an interview process. We want to know who we're working with and, and, you know, the athlete especially, but, you know, what type of parents are, you know, are we dealing with as well? And, there's a, an entire assessment protocol that we utilize, joint range of motion, strength values, movement screenings. Um, we do have an in-house physical therapist, which is really, really nice, kind of a game changer for us. So we can bounce ideas off our PT and have our PT there involved with our um, assessment. So we get this kind of a holistic approach and we do do some baseline testing as well, uh, types of jumping, lateral movement, uh, linear acceleration, sprint work just really basic movements that we can help identify how we're going to map this athlete out for their training for long-term athletic development. That's kind of like our biggest focus. Like we don't care how you are tomorrow or the next day. We want to know where you're going to be at in six months or a year or two years or four years. And that's kind of our assessment protocol. We really want to get to know these athletes and know who we're dealing with. So we have the best approach possible for their needs. Got it. And so, you know, player X walks in the door and does it matter whether he's a pitcher or a hitter? And you guys just do literally, literally a little bit of everything, right? Right. Yeah. So if, you know, if there's a, a pitcher, obviously I'm, I'm dealing with the pitchers, the hitters, you know, they're dealing with, with Bobby in terms of skill development, but the strength training is very cohesive between, you know, pitchers and position players. Obviously there are some differences with overhead athlete but a position player still has to throw so there's very simple you know there's a lot of similarities between the two a lot of rotational components that we have to address um, from both the the pitching and and hitting side as well there's a lot of hit mobility and, and and stability involved with each athlete it's just you know you start to see trends when you're assessing hundreds of athletes at the high school and college and, and middle school levels, you start to see those trends, which makes it a little bit easier to understand what those athletes really need. Got it. Uh, what about a two-way guy that walks into, into the door? Is it, well, first, first question, is it unlimited training for you guys? So they just, they can come in whenever? Yeah, we, we've changed our model so many times, man. It's like, we, we started off with like private lessons and mm -hmm. went to like small group sessions at this specific time. And We've, we've kind of skipped around and jumped around our, our model a little bit, but it's really about unlimited access to our facility. Mm -hmm. So if they're involved in a strength training membership or a pitching membership or hitting membership, we, we want to give these kids a, an incredible opportunity to come in as much as they want during the week, you know, during the month or however long they're scheduled for. Yeah. So we have a better idea of, of tracking progress and we can really keep um, an eye on them and, and make changes daily to their routine instead of you know, coming in once a, once a week and, and not really seeing them that, that much. We don't really know what they're doing outside unless obviously we, we have some online training and remote training protocols that we've established. But we really like that unlimited access to the facility so we can work with them as much as possible. Like the two-way guys, 
Like we just have to, we have to build foundational movements first. Like we love guys that play multiple sports. That's totally fine. Um, guys that are one sport, that's fine too. We just have to kind of manipulate, um, you know, throwing protocols a little bit differently throughout the year. But, you know, we're trying to create athlete uh, and athlete first. So there's, there's things that position players do that pitchers do. And there are things that pitchers, you know, do that position players do. We just want to create really, really explosive multiplanar like really incredible, efficient multiplanar movements, a lot of multi-joint move, joint movements, and just make these kids really athletic. I'm right there with you, and, and I think that, that we get away from, and, and especially with the two-way guys, it's, it's easy to see how athletic they are just because it's really hard to do. Yeah. I, again, it's not hard to deal with those. It's just hard to find a plan that's perfect to work with those guys because you're either taken away a little bit from their hitting or a little bit yeah. from their pitching, or and what we found is the best part is taking a little bit of both. So you're not necessarily you're not missing BP every day, or you're not missing your bullpen or or whatever. And so so that's been tough, but I think that they kind yeah. of they know that going into it. If you want to be a two way guy, which I'm sure you guys have just a ton of them up north, that yeah, we uh, do. that you got to take a take a little bit away from both. But that, that that's been yeah. the toughest part for me is finding that that perfect balance mm-hmm. for. Should I should he be throwing uh, from shortstop or should he be throwing from the mound today and just figuring out you know how does your body react to these different situations and what's your perfect routine and and I, I yeah. want to make sure that I'm shorting them on any any aspect but but it's tough it's tough I'm sure you guys deal with that a lot yeah it's it's just trying trying to find the right blend and the right mix of of skill development like the, like the strength training is the strength training like that's right that's kind of you know annual monthly like they know they have to be doing something, whether it's a recovery day or, or, or an explosive day or a heavier lift day, you know, however it's modified, but the skill, like the skill development is certainly challenging. It's, you know, when's your bullpen session, you know, are you going to do hitting that day? So it's, it's kind of a case by case basis and how the athlete's feeling for that day. And, you know, depending on where they're at, where they're at in their season. And, you know, of course, like how many innings they've pitched throughout the season, you know, in the spring and the summer, like that's going to play a role. And, you know, how we, how we program for those two way athletes as well. So, you know, in, in a, you know, when a kid is shut down for, you know, six, eight, 12 weeks out of the season, um, you know, obviously the strength training can, can start to increase. And maybe that's a time where we do more, you know, more, more hitting if, if they're a, a two way guy. And, and then before we get into our actual, you know, throwing protocol and our, and our bullpens later, in the, later in the year. For sure. So talking about the off season, what should our main goals be for the off season? So you're saying, you know, after summer ball until, well, we start in January. I'm not sure whenever you guys start, but what should be our yeah. main goals for, <laughs> for what, uh, yeah. what we, we need start, to be doing yeah. in the off season for sure. Yeah. We start like April. Is when oh, we wow. get out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, where we haven't had tryouts yet for our high school until the end of this month, end of March. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of the, in, in our area, most of the high school kids, you know, are training from September through March or December through March. You know, the college guys are obviously out a little bit earlier because they have their spring trips. But so again, I think I think that's going to be dependent on the player and where they're at in their training career. Like some of our youth and middle school athletes, like the off season should be to learn about motor control, having balance, stability, understanding of where their body is in space, and just basic like strength training exercises. Learn how to produce force creating some really quality technique and understanding rotational components that's going to transfer to, to performance, you know, in high school too, like the off season again is going to be a time to still get stronger, learn how to 
create some force, you know, application, you know, you might have a, an athlete that's super strong that needs a little bit of a, you know, velocity based training program, learning how to produce force rapidly. And then on the other spectrum, you may, you may have a really like wiry center fielder or a wiry pitcher that's, you know, six, three, 150 pounds that if you add some weight and learn, they learn how to produce a lot more force, their velocity is going to increase without really having to do a, a, a an aggressive throwing program with them. So I really think it's, it's, it's dependent on the player for sure, but we still should be cleaning up those inefficient movements that maybe the season had dictated really really getting into your strength program and learning how to produce force and and just kind of owning those positions and owning those those uh, exercise techniques so that when the season starts to approach we're still getting into our power output and we're still getting into you know translating everything that we did from the off season into the season and then again you trans you transfer into your in-season program and all of a sudden you think that there should be an entire modification on your program and it really shouldn't like you should be still hitting prs and getting strong throughout the season into playoffs because this, the baseball season's super long as you know it's like spring summer you know 50 60 80 games that a lot of these athletes are playing so that's that's kind of my thought process for our off season and then transitioning into the in season as well and it's just dependent on the player and what their needs are got it and you mentioned inefficiencies earlier so what are some of the you know, main culprit inefficiencies that you guys see a lot. Sure. So you're going to see a lot of really poor tissue quality, which leads to poor range of motion, potentially at the hip and the shoulder. So we're seeing a lot of like tight, like tight with internal rotation, or maybe they're, if they're a catcher, they may be stuck in external rotation of the hips and they can't really kind of understand how that, that, that joint moves, that hip joint, that femur moves in the hip joint. Um, you might see some some internal rotation of the shoulder potentially lacking or, you know, some kind of gunky tissue around the, the shoulder blade just from throwing so much. So there's some really basic things that we can do at the end of the season in terms of soft tissue and uh, just basic mobility and, and learning how your joint actually moves before we start to load the body. And having an in-house PT, again, really, really helps because they can do some special tests with those athletes to really figure out what they should be doing. Plus they can get some grass in their soft tissue or, or joint mobs, whatever they need. So that's a, that's a huge game changer for us. But those are the, the things that, that we're seeing, whether it's kind of really poor tissue quality or, or lacking range of motion at the hip and potentially at the shoulder as well. For sure. Now, do you guys have anything as far as daily prescriptions that you guys give everybody? Um, so again, there are some standards that we have. I was talking to uh, the Met strength and conditioning coach and, and we've kind of ad adapted some of the things that they do on a daily basis with their athletes, which is like the favor test or, sh or shoulder flexion where they come in every single day and they just do a quick test to see if their hips are tight for that day or if they can't actually get into full shoulder flexion for that day. Cause that will play a role in how they throw and that could potentially change their mechanics a little bit. So you know, doing things daily in terms of mobility and like self-assessment and like auto-regulation of, of what they're actually trying to accomplish and what they're doing on a daily basis, we can kind of find what's going on and, and attack that issue early on and every day, really. Oh, perfect. And so uh, I've taken an approach this year of trying to 
measure more things and trying to just find things that we can measure just so one, I think measurement equals motivation, but two, they can kind of see their progress. And then three, they can kind of see where they are stacking up as far as themselves versus the rest of the team and really just trying to make everything a competition. What are some of your favorite things that we should be measuring? Yeah. I mean, there's, again, there's a lot of different things that we can do. We look at the horizontal broad jump just for power output, like a really easy test um, to do. We do some lateral skate jumps or lateral bounds just to see single leg or unilateral power output, see how far they're actually jumping in, in the frontal plane. We do your standard kind of agility test. We've done like T-test, 5-5 agility. We've done 10-yard sprint. We've done a 20-yard dash. We've done a 40-yard dash. We've done a sled push as well. We have, you know, the prowler sled, you know, wherever you get your sleds from. Um, we've done like a 20-yard, 10-yard split just to see how they move moving force, you know, how they push, you know, pushing a 75 pound slide or hundred pound slide or whatever it is. So those are some really basic baseline testing that we've done. We obviously velocity, we, we have Rapsodo, so we can get some really basic metrics for that and, and, and build off of that. We also have, again, another really cool tools, two new tools that we have is the, um, we have a VBT of velocity based training, um, device, uh, by, uh, squats and science that measures bar speed. So that's really cool for our older athletes to see how fast they're actually moving the bar during like a deadlift or a bench or a squat or, or whatever they're going to do. And then we also recently had the G flight, which is a portable device that measures vertical jump um, and also ground contact time. So I know there's some studies I, I believe out there that show that vertical jump may not correlate necessarily to velocity, but for position players, understanding how to produce force and rapid rate of force production is still critical, still important. So um, just another, another tool to use that's making, you know, our lives a little bit easier in terms of tracking all this data and showing how these kids improve and showing baselines and then their improvements. And and like you said, it's such a motivation to see and creates a a competitive element for those players. And they want to know those, those numbers right now. I mean, we're, we're starting to transition into a, you know, a data world with, with, all of the metrics out there and i think the kids are starting to understand that and they they like to see those those raw raw numbers the raw data on themselves perfect so tell us what and this is just a pitcher specific thing but tell us what your process of deciding what a pitcher needs to work on and like you said that so they walk into the door you approve them through the interview and they you just you decided it's a good fit for you guys. So what's your, what, what is your thought process? And, and once he gets on the mound from day one to the next time that they have a bullpen deciding what they need to work on. Yeah. So, you know, before it used to be, you know, just using our eye, like the eye test, like, Oh, that looks really good. Or, you know, or you're getting him on high speed video and, and thinking about some mechanical issues. Um, but in terms of like pitch development and what the, the pitcher actually needs to work on using like rap Soto or, like the Diamond Connects just came out with the, the pitch tracker hmm. to track spin rate and horizontal vertical break and um, spin axis and, and efficiency and all that stuff. So now it's like we're learning a lot faster about those athletes and we can make significant changes early on in their bullpens so we can go ahead and start to work on what, what those pitch, you know, those pitches are and what those pitchers actually need. So from like a, from a mechanical standpoint, we do video which I know is, I, mean, I wish we had a, a, you know, a lab to, to, to digitize every athlete's body and, and, and really understand what was going on. 
but the, the high speed video obviously is, is the next best thing that we can utilize. So we're trying to figure out what type of mechanical flaws the athlete has. Um, if they're going to, you know, do some type of long toss, if they're going to do some type of overload stimulus to help, you know, remap or recreate whatever elements they need, need help with from a, from a strength training standpoint. Again, it's like, is this athlete 6'3", 150 that needs strength or is this athlete, you know, 6'6", 240 that needs some mechanical issues or needs mobility? So like, you know, again, we're, we're looking at the spectrum of athlete and where we feel they need the most work depending on their training experience and where they're at in their actual training career. Um, so that's kind of how we, we assess. And we, again, we use all these tools, the rap Soto, we use um, just some mechanical, you know, breakdowns using video. Again, we go back to the assessment component based on their hip mobility, shoulder mobility, um, all their range of motion, all their movement screenings, all their baseline testing. So everything kind of comes together to figure out where they need work on. You know, if, a, if an athlete, has trouble lunging, you know, then they're going to have trouble landing and stabilizing their body through ball release. So there's some really cool things that we can do with the assessment that will correlate and kind of make a real nice cohesiveness with what they're doing off, off the mound. Definitely. And, you know, it, it's funny in my career, once I think I have something uh, somewhat figured out, then I realize that I do not. And so it's kind of <laughs> yeah. like, you know, we're talking, you're talking about mechanics yeah, I used to think that, you know, I had mechanics figured out and then I'm starting to read more about, is it a strength issue? Is it a mobility issue? Is it a perception issue? Is it an actual mechanical flaw? And sure. which of those two to three to four things does it mix or a mix of those two to three to four things is what's causing the question. issue? And it's such so, a good question because so it's like, we really don't freaking know. Like we're trying to do what we can with what we have with those athletes and with all the knowledge and, and data that we're using and collecting. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, what factor is contributing the most to their inefficient movement? Like, like I said, like, is it a strength issue? Is it mobility? Is it genetic predisposition? Um, is it shoulder range of motion? Is it thoracic, you know, extension range? Like, you know, what type of mobility do they actually have? You know, are they creating incredible force when they land? Or is it from their push-off leg? And I think there's a lot of studies coming out showing that front leg mechanics and you know, are, are kind of contributing to velocity along with how fast the trunk can rotate. And, you know, I used to think the, the only way to create velocity was to like point your hip towards the, the catcher. You know, you like you close your hips in order to open them. Like I was a huge Linscombe fan growing up as well. You know, and he kind of had that like, you know, kind of kind of counter rotated the pelvis before he, he worked into stride. So, you know, I always thought that that happened. And then we had an athlete that was also a javelin thrower that would stride straight at the target and throw 95. So it's like, hmm, well, he didn't even like close his hips nearly at all. Like that was a huge eye opener for me where it's like, huh, that's interesting. Like he didn't even close his hip. He just took a stride right at the top. I pointed his toe right at the target off the mound and it was 95. It's like, huh. So, you know, there's a lot of things I used to think in terms of like, their lower lower body mechanics and really aggressive push off the back you know the back rubber and you know you have to like really get, you know really drive the elbow up and back in order to create velocity like there's so much more to just mechanics there's you know there's your sleep there's your nutrition there's your recovery there's your volume of throwing there's your prep work you know there's again genetic predisposition so there's a lot of factors that that go along that's why you know, it's, it's, it's such an intriguing sport and such an intriguing position 
because there's there's you know it's a big puzzle you're trying to you're trying to put the pieces together and, and help these athletes as best you can and it's it's it, it gets really fun when you start to kind of dig dig through all of the the pieces and and figure out what's their limiting factor or what's their you know the, the key performance indicator that that's really going to make this athlete great definitely and and I think that's why I've taken the stance of trying to measure everything and trying to, especially with pitchers, because their weekly routines are pretty much set for the most part. I know you guys play four or five games a week, but we play we play twice. And so trying to figure yeah. out what their perfect weekly routine is has been you know, vital. And I think you answered that a whole lot better than I would, because I would have probably just said, it depends. I think that's been kind sure. of my default response in the last <laughs> sure. like two years, because two years ago I would have said, no, 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 it's this, this, or this. And now I'm like, well, it depends. And so sure. man, it's, that's why our <laughs> Not, job's so hard. It's so hard. And I think, I mean, I think for like New England schools or, or schools that, you know, are, are stuck in, indoors a little bit longer, I think, you know, we're trying to cram in a season in a specific amount of time before the summer season hits. And I think we get, you know, we get kind of overwhelmed with how many games we have to play in, in a specific amount of time and, you know, not doing what you're supposed to do throughout the week or on off days or on the weekends to make sure that you're prepared for the season. I think, you know, we, kids get into trouble. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's still the kid has to be accountable for what he's doing. You know, the coach is presenting information, giving the kids opportunities. The parents are probably doing the same thing. You know, giving these kids an opportunity to be accountable and, and to kind of take care of their arms and their bodies. So the, the, the player still has to be accountable. You know, if you're playing on, you know, you know your games are Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you should have a plan for Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday of what are you doing? You know, what's your strength training like? What's your recovery like? Are you doing soft tissue? Are you doing mobility on those days? Are you taking a day off? You know, what are you doing on those days? So I think it's, it's, it's challenging, I feel like, for New England schools especially like middle school, high school, just because we're, we're trying to cram in so many games in a short amount of time before, you know, the summer seasons and, and the travel and, and, you know, travel organizations as well. So it's certainly challenging, but it's, it's very intriguing and it's, it's fun to kind of dig through this. Oh, for sure. And, you know, something that, that I've, I've really tried to work hard on this season. And I know that there's a lot of coaches out there that, that not, not struggle with this, but it's something that's really hard because it changes day-to-day, week-to-week, player-to-player, and that's trying to individualize training with, you know, 30 to 40 kids. Yeah. And so that that's really tough. So what's your advice on how, you know, what, I don't mm-hmm. want to say most bang for our buck, but, mm-hmm. yep. you know, what? how can we do that better? There, I think, again, we, we kind of talk about this on a daily basis with my strength coach, and, you know, we have the, the baseball strength training manual and the softball strength training manual to help high school coaches or, or high school strength coaches or other coaches that are trying to implement training uh, with their teams. And we're probably going to modify the book a little bit to give the coaches an option based on their assessment. I think an assessment just, even if it's like the basic, the most basic assessment possible, like four or five exercises to really understand what that athlete needs, I think will go a long way. So having, you know, for example, a squat, right? Really basic back squat or front squat, let's just say, you know, you do an assessment and you, you deem that an athlete has really a narrow stance that they're comfortable in or a wider stance that they're comfortable in. So there should be modifications to that squat 
based on that assessment versus, all right, everyone is going to squat in this pattern. Or if that athlete's not suitable for squatting because they can't actually like go down like full range of motion, maybe they should do a sumo deadlift or maybe they should do a trap bar deadlift. So giving those types of options to a player and to a coach, but within that, you know, within the, the range of the exercise, I think will go a long way. So, you know, you, you go to your upper body strength exercise. So if everyone is not going to do a dumbbell press. Some might do a dumbbell floor press just based on hypermobility of, of the upper, upper extremity. So giving the coach or the strength coach or the high school coach or the player an, an option and why they're doing that option in the, you know, based on the assessment, I think again, we'll, we'll kind of start to individualize the, uh, the programming a little, a little bit better. If that makes, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, you're, you're trying to narrow it down to what it, where does the issue originate? But what, when do you guys assess and what, you know, what type of assessments do you guys do? Yeah. So we, we assess the, uh, pretty much like the first, first time that the athlete is in there, we'll assess once, um, we'll assess before they finish up the program. We might assess a couple of times throughout their training protocol. So if they're training for six months, we might assess three or four times during that period. If they're coming in for three months, we might just do a initial assessment and then a post, you know, before they leave. And then when an athlete comes back after season, we'll probably do that, you know, end of the year or end of season um, assessment. Just to, again, we're just trying to track data and to see if there's any trends in regards to what we do. I know there's some new technology out there for you know actually seeing range of motion angles and we haven't we haven't had that yet but i think we're going to add that in the fall right now we're doing basic like range of motion at the shoulder of the hip uh we're doing basic movement screening like fms y balance and then a couple of special tests that i've created it's a little bit more specific to pitchers and position players in terms of frontal plane movements and understanding how to disassociate like the femur from the pelvis and the pelvis from the trunk, just so we can see some separation um, aspects of that as well. And, you know, can the athlete control those movements in a very controlled environment before going into a really aggressive pitching, you know, pitching movement. So um, we've done that. And then again, like I, I talked about your basic assessment, baseline testing, like, you know, broad jump, vertical jump, frontal plane, you know, lateral bound, agility, linear sprint work, uh, a sled push. We've done um, like a push-up test. We've done like a pull-up test before. I'm really not a big fan of that, but, you know, I think certain athletes need that, especially college athletes that are, are home for winter break that are going to, that they know they're going to be testing that when they go back to school. So we make sure that they're capable of doing what the strength coach at the college wants them to do as well. So you know, we might do a squat test or we might do a bench press uh, test or we might do um, a deadlift test as well. So those are some of the basic things that we try and test for. Um, and then our, our PT, again, will we'll give some special tests to the athlete for impingement or, you know, for rotator cuff strength or just to, to kind of measure elbow stability or, or knee stability, ankle stability. There's a lot of things that, that he does as well that kind of ties everything together. Perfect. Now, what is your advice as far as shutdown periods go? And say, you know, just taking your season in April, when should yep. we start back throwing to be prepared for day one for practice? And then maybe you said you guys start practicing in April or you start games in April? 
So it's funny. It's like the first time the future. It's like the first time we have games. So it's okay. kind of crazy. It's like let's say ridiculous. Like oh, wow. I wish I wish the high school season would start later so that we have a month to practice outside. So you know, there's only so many indoor long toss programs that you can do, and and bullpen in you know bullpens indoors, and you know before you get outside. So you know, it's it's again, it's certainly challenging. I think for pitchers, again, it's just going to depend on volume throughout the spring and summer season. We like our pitchers not to play fall ball just so they can have six, eight, 10, 12 weeks just to kind of recover from max effort pitching. Now, during this time, they may still be doing some type of arm care protocol, whether it's like reverse throws or wrist weights or flex bar training, um, you know, strengthening the wrist and the elbow, or if they're using like the water bottle drill to kind of help with their arm pathway, just something that's really less restrictive than actually releasing a ball. So there, there is some very submax effort things that these athletes can do. And again, if they want to, like we have, you know, Kevin McGowan with the New York Mets who got called up last year. And, and he's a guy that, you know, we're just communicating with like, Hey, when do you feel like you need to start your throwing program? This is where I think like, but again, at the end of the day, it's your career. Let me know what you think you need to do. And someday, some, some years he's like, I want to start my throwing in four weeks. I want to start in eight weeks or I want to take three months off from throwing. So we have to, again, have that communication with the athlete, but there has to be a, a background of, of history before we make a decision on that. So, um, you know, my recommendation, again, it's going to depend on volume of throwing, of innings thrown, you know, where they're at in their training career. Again, I keep saying that, you know, are you a college senior that it's your last opportunity to you know, give it a run to play indie ball or pro ball? Then we're probably going to go a little more aggressive with you. Or you're a high school senior that's already committed to a D1 school. You're looking to be drafted in the top 20 rounds. Like We probably don't need to be super aggressive with you right now. We can kind of let you take your time off from throwing and then build up because you know, your summer season is going to be a big season for you. Well, let me ask you a question that I've really been wrestling with a little bit. Should we be, I know the, the recommendation is, is one to two months off. And like you said, it, it depends on the kid, depends on, it sure. depends on how much they pitch in the spring and the summer, but does it matter if that's consecutive or can you take, like say our season, our summer season ends in July. So if you took August off, came back for a couple of months and then took November and December off would that, or, or just November off and then started back mm-hmm. up in December to get ready for January. Does it matter if it's consecutive or can you take two or three weeks off here and there and then that that would be adequate? You know, I think I think that's a really good question. I think that's going to like I wish there were studies on that. I don't think there are any studies with tracking, you know, using we use the modus sleeve to test, you know, track for for elbow stress and, you know, chronic workload and and, um, those types of components. So, you know, I'm curious to see what those values are, those numbers are. And we haven't done that. That's probably something we could do to see you know, have a throwing session, you know, season, take whatever, a couple weeks off and start throwing and take another month off to see what those values are like and if there's any changes. But that's a really good question. I think we, we've actually done that with some of our college seniors that are now going into, you know, indie ball or getting signed to an affiliate where, you know, they play their, their, their senior year of college and they play their summer season or, or they go deep into their, their college year. They take their summer off. And they start their throwing like September, October, November, and they go pretty aggressive with it. And then they take December off from throwing and then they go back January, February, March before they get into their, you know, their indie ball or if they're signed with affiliate, they'll be playing in, um, in February. So we've actually done 
done that with some of the older guys. And I think they responded pretty well to it. And and they're more in tune with their body. So they know, like, I, I, I really need to shut down. Like, my body's just really tired. Mm-hmm. Nothing's, you know, nothing's hurting them. They just can, they can feel that they're drained or they've, they're overtrained or they're just, like, they're just run down. So, you know, we've actually had a couple guys do that. So it's, it's interesting that you brought that question up. Um, but I think there needs to be more data on that. You know, and, and like you said, not having consecutive months off, but still taking those months off at certain times. Um, based on, you know, how you're feeling. So it's, yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question. That's a good one to kind of dig into. And I I think we're going to have more of those types of athletes this upcoming year. So certainly track that and use the modus to see if there's any, any change at all. And the reason that I ask is because we have, we specifically have a couple of unsigned seniors and in Texas, you can really play year round. And so I'm thinking back, I'm (laughs) like, man, so if they took a week or two off in May, a week or two off in August, that's that's a month total, a week or two off in November because you're going to have breaks anyways and then maybe a week. And I, and so I, I don't know if that's if that's fair, but some some well, people just love throwing. You know, I mean, some, some people, people yeah. want to take a break and then, but yeah, I don't want to harm them if they want to k- continue to do that, nah, if that makes sense. I know what you're saying. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, we have guys that love to throw too and just they, they'll, they'll want to throw after a pitch, you know, a hundred pitch uh, game that they've thrown and, you know, some guys like to long toss a lot. Some guys like to long toss a little bit and then blend in just like really sub max effort, like play catch intensity uh, days. And again, that's that's totally fine. Like that's something that they feel they need to do or they've been doing that for so long that it's kind of out of the ordinary for them not to throw. Like it would, it would, you know, their mental, you know, perception of you know not throwing a specific day may be more negative for those types of athletes than picking up a ball and just like lightly tossing to the net for a little bit or, or with their partner. So no, I think, I think if you think about the strength training world, like if you go hard, if you go hard and, and, and lifting as hard as you can, your, your, your max effort every day, there's going to be a deload week. Like you have to have recovery days. I, I tell some of our pitchers, like pitching is not like basketball where you can just go shoot every single day. You can only do, you know, a couple max effort sessions a month, you know, really, if you, if you think about it, um, or, you know, every five to seven days. So it's not like you can go max effort every single day. You have to have deload weeks and you have to have deload days or sub max effort days or command days or, or, you know, pitch grip days or video days. Like just, you just, there just has to, ha- it just has to happen. So, you know, trying to, trying to correlate that to other sports, like, Hey, you can't like throw max effort every single day or every two days. I mean, relievers, obviously have to get used to that at the higher level, but you know, in high school and, and middle school and, and college, you usually have those, you know, those set roles and you know when you're throwing so you can modify as needed. So skipping into in season now, let's, let's talk about the strength side first and then we'll jump back to the throwing side. So what should yep. in season training look like from a strength perspective? Yeah. So we're going to focus on the things that we did in the off season. So the, the exercise selection doesn't necessarily change. Um, we still want to, you know, kind of get our hip hinge, our squat patterns, our push pull upper body, and some type of carry a variation, whether it's like a, a waiter walk or a farmer's walk or whatever. So we still want to hit upon those components. The set and rep scheme and intensity scheme is going to change. So we usually increase the uh, the intensity and the load, and we we modify the volume a little bit. So we might instead of you know in the off season we might be doing like. 3 of 10 or 3 of 12 or 4 of 8 or 4 of 10, you know, 10, we might work down to 
three sets of five or three of three or five sets of three just to keep that intensity up and you know kind of refining that pattern uh, the exercise pattern while still producing force and, and making pretty significant gains throughout the season so so we don't really change the exercise selection or the exercises um, we just change and modify the the intensity the volume you know those types of schemes so that's kind of how we we structure our in season um, in regards to structure during the week again it's it's kind of going to be dependent on what the athlete likes so if an athlete plays games on Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoons at like four o'clock, some guys like to come in and lift after those games and they feel perfectly fine. Some guys like to not do anything after their games and then lift on Tuesday and potentially lift on a weekend. So they might do one, one day during the week and one day in the weekend. Some guys might do three days. Again, it's going to be dependent on how that athlete feels really. Um, you give them an opportunity, you give them days and, and suggestions, and they need to figure out how their body responds after those those games and after those lifts. Sure. And we usually lift on uh, mon- or on Wednesdays and so uh, and Mondays and Wednesdays. So we've got 24 hours for uh, the position players on Mondays. And so the yep. starting pitcher has been like, "Hey, can I can I lift on Wednesday and then Friday before our game because I don't." I don't necessarily want to lift 24 hours before, which some guys do. I know I had Zach Dakin on a couple of months ago, and he talked about yep. how they lift the day, like on game day, and on said 20, game day. yeah, 24 hours would be fine. But you know, it's one of those tricky balances to where you know it, if you're trying to take an individualistic approach of okay, so you're you're going to own it, you're going to do it on your own a little bit. I may be in there to help you, but it won't be in a yep. team setting. But if you feel like this is your best chance to succeed then then i'm okay with it and and just making sure we get our work done so how does that look like in the north whenever they're playing you know four or five days a week yeah i mean the 24-hour rule is good um i like that rule i i I know when i played at uconn we were lifting in the uh in the mornings two days a week it could have been on game day or it could have been on the day before game day just again just depending on where where the lifting fell out and where our travel was so um and again you can always modify it's just it's really about getting up, getting moving, getting some blood flow, you know, kind of activating your muscles and just going to get your mind right for, for that, for that day. It, for me, I, I, looking back, I, you know, when I played independent ball, like I wish I did more lifting on game days versus opposite days, you know, on off days, just because I, I wanted those off days to be fully off for me. I was a you know, position player where I can just kind of do some mobility and, and not really focus on throwing. It could be like a 15, 20 minute session versus I know I'm going to be playing that day. I know I'm going to be moving. Let me get out. Let me get my, you know, let me get rolling. Let me, let me lift a little bit before. I wish I kind of did that in, in, in pro ball um, versus just, you know, not doing anything, which, you know, you don't really do much in indie ball. You, it's, it's kind of weird. So I wish I did more of that. Definitely. And, and the school I was at previously at Tulsa Union, we did lifting on Monday mornings because we had Sunday off and Thursday yep. mornings because we always had Wednesday off. And you're not coming in from, you know, you're starting at 730, you're getting done at, at 1030, 11 o'clock at night, then you're going home, you may have homework, you may not. You know those nights that they're going to be, you're going to be done with practice before six o'clock and you're going to have plenty of time to recover. And so that that was that worked out really well. We did play on some Mondays and some Thursdays, but yep. the kids really bought into that, and, and and they were just fine. We got stronger as the season went on. But I, I really liked that routine, and I thought that that was that was really good, and and it was really well thought out. 
Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, just based on on your schedule for sure. So again, there's a lot of different ways to do it, and just depending on you know, you might have a up here, you might have a rain day, you know, rain day or a snow day, like mm-hmm. you could in April. You know, when you're out, or even in May. So you know, just is trying to trying to figure out what the best option is for your team, what you have access to, you know, and when you have access to the facilities will certainly play a role in when when your athletes get in for lift, but. I still think it's re- it's really important to hit your your basic components, and the workouts don't have to be an hour hour and a half. They can be you know, ten to fifteen minutes of warm ups. You know, actually like eighteen to twenty minutes of twenty five minutes of actual lifting, mm-hmm. and and then you get your 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 soft tissue recovery and you know your mobility, your stretches, whatever before you get you know you, you leave the facility. So I think you can structure it a lot of different ways, but as long as the concepts and you have a good reason of why you're trying to do that. I think I think it'll be all right. Like I really like the twenty four hour rule, like you, you had mentioned. And again, it's just you know when you have your own facility, you can kind of keep it open all week and and let those athletes pick and choose when they want to come in based on their schedule and based on their homework and based on how they feel. Oh, definitely. So let's go ahead and talk about pitcher in season routines. And yeah. you know, do you work? I'm assuming that you work with even the high school guys about building a, a perfect routine. For them, so can you throw out? You know, let's say you're going to pitch once a week. So, yep. what does besides game day? And you can even go into game day if you want to. But what do the other yep. six days look like? And, and if you want to go talk about game day, you can talk about that as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll start with game day, I guess. Um, so, if a, you know, a pitcher is going to start, let's just say, you know, in high school, let's just say Monday. Let's just say Monday is their their starting day. So, we want to make sure that the athlete can either come to our facility before their game or if they're at the, you know, at the field, they have a specific routine that they utilize and it's going to be different than a, an actual training session. Obviously they're going to have a, a little bit less time um, in high school, you know, if they're, especially if they're in a away game and the bus is picking them up, whatever. So we have our athletes, you know, our, our starting pitchers, make sure they understand their dynamic warm up, their soft tissue. There's a couple different pre-throwing routines like we like to use with, with J bands a little bit of wrist weights uh, that have been around for a long, long time. We've done some hip mobility. We've done some T-spine mobility before uh, before those sessions. And then understanding, you know, how to long toss prior to a game if you like that. Some of the guys like to use overload stimulus, so different types of weighted, you know, reverse throws or rockers or pivots. And that's, again, totally cool. And they're not doing a ton of sets and reps. They're not doing three or four sets. They might just do one set of five or one set of ten. Some guys might play catch like really light with a nine ounce ball or an 11 ounce ball. Just again, that's something that they've done for a long time and they really, they really like the feel after they do that with a baseball. And again, some guys just like the long toss with a regular baseball and then get into their bullpen work. So that's kind of like a pre, pre game routine. A day, a day after we like them to hopefully come in and lift, uh, but also to do some type of, uh, mobility with their hips and their and their um, and stability exercise with their shoulder, whether it's you know bands or if, if it's wrist weights. But we don't again, we don't do a ton of throwing the day after. Um, it might be a light like a light toss day for them. So that would be Tuesday, Wednesday might be a a, a higher intensity exercise. All of the pre work and recovery exercises still pretty much stay the same, but their intensity of their long toss. Uh, might change a bit or, or they're just like light play catch intensity. Thursday might be a bullpen day for them if they wanted. 
where we have the facility open where they could come in to use, utilize Rapsodo just to maybe make a change before their next outing, um, or they might do their bullpen at school. Friday, some guys like to take Friday off or just kind of come in and do some soft tissue or, or do like an active recovery day where they're not picking up a baseball and they're just, you know, moving, you know, moving pretty well. And they might add another strength day on Friday as well. Saturday and Sunday, it's just, again, it's going to depend on how the athlete feels and how they want to approach that, you know, following Monday start again. So Saturday and Sunday, it could be either an off day. One of those days could be a another long toss session. Uh, one of those days could be another lighter bullpen day where they're working different pitch selection and grips and feeling some different things based on the Rapsodo data that they've used. And then they're ready for their 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 Monday starting session again. So that's kind of how we've structured it and how we kind of talk to our the coach the high school coaches about that routine. Of course, there's going to be some modifications. You know, maybe they just don't have the gym space for that day, or or whatever it is. You know, maybe the kid is extra sore for for whatever reason. Maybe his pitch count was a little bit higher. I mean, who knows? We try and again give them guidelines, and then work with those work within those guidelines, and and really help those coaches understand what their pitchers are trying to do. So we we do work with a couple of high schools locally. I, I'd like to work with a lot more, which would be great. But that's kind of how we structure our programs. So you mentioned that you had some uh, pre and post throwing stuff that you guys do really daily or for the most part daily. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you mind digging into those a little bit? Yeah, sure. So we, we, we always start with lacrosse ball. So we do some forearm rollouts, just kind of get the belly of the forearm and, and just kind of massage the tissue with the lacrosse ball. Some guys have the stick, you know, the, like the tiger stick or, or whatever it is. They can, they can roll out their quads, their hamstrings, their calves. We're just trying to kind of mash up the tissue and just get our blood rolling. So we do some of that stuff. We do some hip mobility, some like 90-90s. Um, we'll do some, you know, old school like fire hydrants, you know, just from hip external rotation. We've done some some standing, just like hip internal rotation, external rotation, uh, holding, you know, holding your hand against the fence and, and standing upright and kind of moving through some specific ranges. Uh, we get into these uh, flex bars. Flex bar twist. Um, I have some stuff on my website on the flex bar training, and it was created by a physical therapist in New York City to combat little league elbow and tennis elbow. And I forget how many subjects they had, but they did a study on those athletes that were injured and those clients that were injured and offering them the flex bar protocol versus another um, standard protocol. And there was a huge increase in 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 their in their injury uh, in terms of performance and less pain. So it was really, really, I think it was like 70% or 73% increase in, you know, not having pain after they performed this protocol. So it was pretty cool. So we do a bunch of different style twists of these flex bar, which helps kind of, again, prep the elbow, prep the wrist, prep the shoulder for, for joint load. So we do those. We do some J-band work. We don't really get too aggressive with it. We might do a set of five, you know, instead of like three sets of 10, like, a lot of athletes do, and then you can see their technique just kind of gets gets butchered pretty hard. So we try and keep quality over quantity for the band work. Then we go into some wrist weight style throws <clears throat> before we get into, we do some overload reverse throws, which again, have been around in the PT, PT realm for a long, long time for strengthening the posterior cuff and learning how to create some thoracic rotation extension and understanding how the, the torso kind of works against the pelvis as well. So that's a really cool one. I, I, that's one of my favorites, the reverse throw for athletes. Then we do the water bottle drill. 
um, if you're familiar with the water ball drill, just a, a way to, yeah. So just a way for, again, the athletes to feel their arm pathway and shape, um, listen to how their arm is moving by the water shifting, uh, and the coach can kind of see where the water shifting at the right time. So it's a, it's a really good way for, for an athlete to warm up their arm pathway and, and just kind of understand where their arm is in space in relation to their body. Um, so we do the water ball drill and, and then again, some guys like to do like pivot throws or rocker throws using, um, you know, an overload stimulus. And then we'll get into, you know, our actual throwing, uh, progressions or, you know, long toss, or if they're an infielder, they might do some defensive style throws and catcher style throws if you're a catcher and outfielders might do um, some different variations uh, that's more specific to their to their uh, their position so that's kind of the, the prep work that we that we do on a daily basis again it's going to include flex bars bands wrist weights water bottle drill rhythmic stabilization i forgot to include that there's ways to create rhythmic stabilization if you don't have like a body blade or a med ball to you know to work against the wall you can do some partner stuff which is basically trying to keep the humeral head centered and positioned in the glenoid cavity in that shoulder joint so that the athlete can strengthen up the rotator cuff in a more dynamic way. So if, you know, the athlete, one athlete's kneeling down, their partner is, is kind of giving them some perturbations or, or kind of moving their arm around the athlete on the, you know, kneeling down has to help stabilize that humeral head and, and resist that motion of their partner hitting their arm. So um, create some really good uh, rotator cuff stability in a more dynamic, more dynamic way. So um, that's kind of our, our prep work. Uh, recovery is essentially the same stuff we do after a pitching outing uh, or a long throwing session, which will include the bands, the flex bar, again, some type of rhythmic stabilization. We don't really do any throws after we've thrown, um, you know, we had a throwing session. So all of it is really as a cool down and just a, a way to explore how that body is feeling right after they've thrown. And then we, we've done some, we've done some Mark Pro recovery, you know, stim with, with some of our athletes that they've, you know, they really like actually instead of icing. So um, there's a, there's a cool article written by Dr. Josh Heenan on, on icing versus not, not icing after a game or after a throwing session. So really interesting data for that. But um, that's kind of what we do after, uh, you know, after our throwing session and, and before our throwing session. And we want to make sure that the athletes are moving. You know, whether they do some of these drills or not, like they just have to be moving and gaining back some of that lost range of motion that they they may have just encountered during a throwing session or cleaning up that tissue and laying it down a little bit better than what they've just done. They've just messed up their tissue, you know, throwing over and over again, like the, the scap is retracting over and over again, like that tissue is going to get really gunky and gnarly. So we want to make sure that we kind of iron that out and lay it out properly so that the joints can work a little bit more efficiently. I love that, and and I think that you did gave a great explanation of why you're doing what you're supposed or why you're doing pre and post throwing stuff, and and the different things that you guys do. But let's go ahead and skip Ooh. into the advice section and talk to us about yeah. you know your own personal learning. So, what's something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? I think from like a pitching standpoint, using Rapsodo is really helping me understand where an athlete should be in terms of. They're throwing like their arm slot or, you know, how they can adjust to, you know, to their movement and where they're releasing the ball and what pitches are actually the right pitches for that particular person. Like, you know, before it's like, hmm, like you're very low three quarter slot, but you're trying to throw, 
like a 12-6 curveball. So it's like, hmm, how do I change that? Or, or maybe you should just throw a slider. Like now that thought process is a little bit better. And I know, you know, like Driveline and, and you know, Rapsodo are, you know, are coming together and putting out some really good information and data for, for us to learn and, and get better as well as coaches and um, player developers. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest things that I've learned recently from from a pitching perspective is more pitch design and, and what pitches play off of other pitches based on release point and based on, you know, that particular athlete spin rate or velocity. So, I mean, that's, again, I think the technology is incredible and it's changing the way we, we see and how the coaches, you know, other coaches train their athletes and how the parents are understanding what their kids are trying to accomplish based on all this research and all this data. So, there's a re- really good cohesiveness, you know, between th- those those companies and and how they're portraying their information. So that that was that was a big eye opener for me. Um, I know again, Diamond Kinetics uh, has a pitch tracker, you know, built in the ball. So that's again going to help coaches as well teach their athletes specific pitches based on, you know, based on the information. Trying to figure out a way as we speak to uh, get my hands on a rap soto. I know that's something that that's just really changed a lot of people's in the way that the way that they think about pitching. And, and like yeah. you said, it's, it's just literally instant data that you can use. And so it's, you're taking out some of the guesswork and, and I love it. It's just, yeah, it's just speeding up the learning curve. I mean, that's really, that's really what it's doing, you know, for players and for coaches um, instead of, you know, doing the same thing over and over again in a, in, in like a private session with no data. It's like, Oh, that looks good, man. Like, Oh, that was really good. That broke a ton. Like it, it's, it's less, I feel like it's less stressful for the coach and the player developer because there's this information that we can interpret it and then have an educated response for why, you know, why we're manipulating or trying to change this or change that. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it feels like it's more real to the player, you know, to the coaches and to the parents. Definitely. And so talk to us uh, about some of your favorite resources. I know you've put out several different articles or tons of articles, several different books, high level throwing for softball and baseball. And I, and I love those. Those are great resources. And, appreciate and, it. Yeah, absolutely. And anybody that anybody in the realm that, that hasn't picked those up, make sure you guys go pick those up. But so what are your, some of your favorite resources that really have shaped your coaching career or maybe you've stumbled upon recently? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, the starting strength by my rib toe, that's a, that's a really good book, really good read for strength coaches out there. There's a book called the dynamics of skill acquisition, um, a constraint led approach. And I'm not sure when it actually came out, but it talks about how to actually develop athletes from a young age and, and uh, kind of a, a motor learning theory and how the athlete portrays, you know, themselves in the environment and what tools we can use to help these athletes really maximize their performance. Um, so that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool book. The, the Franz Bosch book is a, the strength and, coordina- a strength and Coordination book. That's kind of like a mind blowing book. Um, I read it like a bunch of times and there's chapters in there that are like, whoa, it's like, what, what, yeah, it's really, really incredible. I thought that book was, was kind of inspiring and, and again, a different thought process. There's another book again for the, the, the strength training side. It's, and there's this guy, Robin Lund. Um, he's a professor at university of Northern Iowa who got me turned on to, um, this book and it's applied sprint training by James Smith. And there's a lot of new approaches with, you know, speed development and sprint work and, and how we blend in, you know, for position players, how do we blend in speed training and, and agility? And I think that's kind of an, an under discussed, you know, portion of, of development. So 
Um, that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool book. There's another, um, a couple articles that I was, um, turned on to as well with learning how to create like, um, profiles, you know, force velocity profiles for specific athletes and how do we actually develop them properly based on their sprint mechanics, based on how much force they're applying, based on, you know, a whole, whole bunch of different things. So, uh, that's, that's some, some really cool stuff. I think it's a, it's an article somewhere. I can't really find it, but you know, those books are, are pretty powerful to start off with. I know, again, there's a ton of good resources out there. I think there's a cool book called Mathletics, which talks about like data approach and, and, and just more information on, you know, statistics and how to actually coach using statistics. So Again, there's some really, really good information out there, but Guy Robin Lund does a lot of, we did a book together on the base stealing, trying to understand what the best uh, base stealing technique was. And uh, we did a study on it and some really interesting data on that with, with what's the best approach through two and a half and five meters, you know, your initial acceleration. So that's another good, really good book, but he's a good guy to follow on Twitter. And he's just a really smart dude that's turned me on to a lot of these books. Got it. And I will link those down in the show notes. I may have you send me the article that you're talking about just so we make sure we, yeah. we link up everything. But funny, funny sure. thing is think back to your, you know, 18 to 21 year old self. Would you have ever thought that you would love and be sending out a resource called Mathletics? I know, right? It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, when you're that age, you don't like, I mean, at least for me, it was like, you're, you're reading the stuff that, your teachers give you and the rec- you know, the, the, the needed resources, the recommended reading books that you have to buy, but you don't really go out and dig. I mean, I started to, when I realized that I should be doing this and learning more and, you know, but you go, you think back to your, like you say, your 20, 21 year old self. And, you know, there wasn't, there, there wasn't social media to share this stuff with really. I'm 34. So, you know, it's pretty, I remember like when Facebook came out in like 2006 or 2007 or something like that, whenever it came out, but even before that, it's like, how do you, you know, how are you researching? How are you finding all this, all these books and all these cool information, you know, informative books and resources. And now it's just like everything is shared and you can see a book and it's, and get it in a second from Amazon. And sure. there's, so, there's so much sharing going on and, and you can find way better resources than spending hours and hours digging, digging through like PubMed or, you know. Or, or a Sylvia or whatever, you know, the, 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 the journals, the, you know, the strength conditioning, um, journal. So, so yeah, so, I mean, those are some pretty cool books I can send over. Some, I can send over some other um, books as well that, that maybe I didn't mention here today, but there, there's some, there's some good, good stuff out there for sure. Perfect. Now you mentioned like Rapsodo, you mentioned a couple of other different products, but if you had to pick one that you is your favorite coaching tool that you use all of the time. And I'm taking water bottle drill as much as I love the drill. I'm, I'm outlawing you from using this one, but what's your best coaching tool that you've bought for under a hundred dollars? Oh man. I mean, let me think here. I know, well, here's, here's a new product that, like I said, I just, I just, it's going to be coming in the next couple of days, but the, the diamond kinetics pitch tracker, that's, I think it's $99. So Perfect. that's under a hundred bucks. I think that's going to be a really good, really good product for, you know, affordable, affordable product, you know, versus Rapsodo. But I mean, they're both very good products, of course, but I'm, I'm excited to see how that, how that works and how that runs and, and how accurate that is. So that would be one for under a hundred bucks. Like if, if you can like create a, a, a gear package or a, a, an equipment package for, you know, for an athlete, I think like a me- some type of medicine ball, some type of band needs to be 
in there, some type of potential wrist weight or flex bar um, for, for pitchers, a, a foam roller or a lacrosse ball for your soft tissue work. I mean, again, those are all, probably all those you can get for under $100. And it's just, it's just learning how to take care of your body, you know? So, I mean, I, I would recommend all of those cheaper products, med ball and, and flex bars and, and, and J bands and some type of, of lacrosse ball or, or foam roller to, to have in your bag to help. So, but yeah, but the, the, I'm excited for the diamond kinetics on the pitch, the pitch tracker, the ball. So that would be interesting. Absolutely. And Was, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Can you take, you know, a minute or two to tell us how we could get in contact with you if they have, if our listeners have any questions? Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, I appreciate you having me on and I hope, hope, uh, you know, this, this was helpful for, for coaches and players and, you know, parents as well, but you can, uh, you can certainly find me, um, at my, I have two websites. I'm probably going to be transferring over to one website, um, just to make it less confusing. Um, but right now I have highlevelthrowing.com, which houses all of my throwing information, free products, free articles. And then, you know, my books, my high level throwing books as well. I also have wassermanstrength.com, which is my other website that houses everything strength training. So all my baseball, softball training manuals, my young blood training manual, which is a, a, a youth, a youth training manual for 12 and under athletes, base dealing for baseball and softball. And then just a ton of free articles on rehabilitation, injury prevention, strength training, uh, nutrition, performance, like all that stuff. So those are my two websites. You can find me on Twitter at was underscore strength or Facebook, uh, at Wasserman strength. And then Instagram is at Wasserman strength as well. So a lot of different social media uh, platforms, but you can find me on those websites as well. Love it. And is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? You know, I, I just, again, I think with this podcast and, and with other podcasts that, you know, John has put together, I think there's a lot of information, a lot of good quality people that come on board and, and, and want to help and want to give you information. And, you know, the, the more that we can work together as an industry, it's the better we're going to get and the, the faster we're going to progress to where we need to go. It's like, I feel like in strength training, like people are sharing so much information together and they want to help their athletes. And then like you go to the skill development side and it's like people, people like to fight so much about it. And I think we really need to just get on the same page and, and really understand the research and present opportunity to the athletes, give them the information and then kind of let them choose and, and give the best possible versions of why they're choosing that. Because at the end of the day, it's the athlete's career. And you, you, of course you want to guide them. Um, you don't want to, you know, intentionally do something incorrect. So I think we need to really reach out together, you know, in terms of skill development and, and you know, to really move the industry forward. So, you know, a lot of good resources out there just you know, like I said in this podcast and in in previous podcasts, you know, there's a lot of great speakers on here as well. And you know, I, I think I think we're moving in the right direction. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you'd like to view the show notes or get in touch with me, you can find all of that information on our website at aotcpodcast.com or on the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association app. Help us out by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. But before you go, here's a quick word from our friends at Keeper of the Game. Hi, I'm Cam Wright, Keeper of the Game player rep for Frisco American League and Dallas Junior Wheelchair Mavericks. Thank you for supporting Keeper of the Game.